All right, what's up, Salt Company? We've got the last Salt Company of the year, okay? This year flew by. Uh, I appreciate seeing the floor boys in the front row. That's, a, that's amazing. What'd you say? Oh, come on now. Wow, we got four of them. All right, what a night we got. Um, here's the thing, guys. We're, we're wrapping up uh, our Man After God's Own Heart series. So you can open up to 2 Samuel 22. And we're going to be walking through a song that we have there. But guys, before I jump in to the message, I want to address and just chat about really briefly what took place this past week in Minneapolis. As on Tuesday, a lot of us felt the weight and the tension of the moment as we were waiting for the verdict and the trial of the ex-police officer Derek Chauvin and the, the case of the murder of George Floyd and guys, I, I think that's going to be a moment that we will remember, okay? Like, that's one of those things It's like, where were you when you heard this? As the world was zeroing in on some sort of screen to watch what was about to take place. And God, at, guys, as we see, like, so many people from different perspectives were zeroing in on this screen. Because I don't have the answers. One thing that I can say to you is that that is a display that all of us in us Every human being has a longing for justice. And I think we, we, saw, we can see it play out, like people have different perspectives of what that means, but every single human has within them a longing for justice. Why? Because we were made by a God where justice flows from. Like we were made in his image. The very source of justice in himself and so we realize that everyone's longing for that to take place. Whether they're celebrating or challenging what took place, everyone's longing is actually a longing to know God himself. The truest form of justice. And so all of us have this longing within our heart, and the longing is there because one day justice will be served completely. Every single sin, every single ounce of brokenness will be paid for. Because God is good and God is just and he will, there will be punishment. And so I think as we reflect and as we look at this God who is just, and we are thankful that he is just, it causes us to, to take our eyes off of what's happening and to begin to look in on our own heart. To examine a little bit of where are we at. Where, what is our posture before the God of the universe that everyone will one day bow before? And guys, I also want you to know, in the midst of all of this, there's so many different thoughts and confusion, moments of confusion. And wherever you're at, I want you to feel comfortable and safe to talk to one of us staff members. Like, I want you to feel the freedom to come up and process and pray. And so, guys, let me pray uh, as we jump into this last message together. God, we, we are so thankful that we serve you ultimately that you are the one that's sovereign over all, and God, that every ounce of brokenness will be paid for. And God, if we're in you, we realize that our brokenness has been paid for on the cross, that we get to look to that moment and realize that, God, you poured your judgment out on your son and that we get to be in relationship with you. And so, God, I pray that we would just respond in worshiping you. God, I pray that we would take this message and we would zero in on our own heart again. We would examine our own heart and say, what do I need from this text in 2 Samuel? God, all of this is for your glory and our joy. 
In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, guys, so we, we're wrapping up 2 Samuel in chapter 22. And I want to, before we jump into this text, I want us to look at what has happened since last week's message. Okay, the 11 chapters, a lot of brokenness has taken place in those 11 chapters. So, last week, we heard of the tragic rape of Bathsheba, that David, in his power, took Bathsheba and committed an incredible act of brokenness. And then in response to that, David wants to like hide his sin and cover it up by killing her husband. So he sends him on a suicide mission, basically, and pulls back the rest of the army so that he will for sure die. And then as a result of the sin that took place there, the child that was born of David and Bathsheba died as well. So there's a ton of brokenness in that one chapter, but as the story continues, the brokenness continues. So we see next, it trickles into his family. David's, one of David's sons rapes David's own daughter. So his own son rapes his sister, and then he just lets her go on her own and just kicks her out. And then his other brother Absalom so David's son, Absalom, looks at this moment and sees that David does nothing. He doesn't intervene. He doesn't speak for. And so he says, I'm going to take this into my own hands. And he creates a plan to kill that brother. So brother kills brother. And then it starts a rebellion where this one son, Absalom, creates a rebellion of pulling together people of Israel to revolt against David. And so David has to flee out of Israel. He has to flee from the throne, and he is fleeing for his life because these people are chasing him down. And it leads to this moment where David's son Absalom is killed, allowing David to humbly come back as a broken man and sit on the throne that was already his. Okay, so then there's other battles that take place. And guys, we have another battle versus another giant. Um, so David's reign kind of bookends with these two stories. So we've got a giant from Gath, another descendant of Goliath. And so Israel finds himself going up against this giant again. Like, where do these guys keep coming from? Okay. And so if you remember, Goliath was described very elaborately in the text. This dude's nine feet, nine inches tall. Okay, this dude's got the heaviest gear you can have. This dude's got a sword. This dude's got a spear. He is named the champion. Okay, people know this man. That is the description that he gets. Um, I, I want to draw your attention to the description that this giant gets in chapter 21, verse 20. It says, And there was again war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature, another giant, who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number. Okay, so just imagine. David sees Goliath, and he's like, okay, I've got this guy. Easy. He sees a dude with extra fingers and toes. He's like, I'm out. Okay, I don't want to mess with that type of man. And so actually David doesn't. Okay, another guy named Jonathan is the one that goes out and defeats this giant. And so now in this moment, as God has delivered David, he's sitting on his throne, and he's actually reflecting back over his life. And he sings this song that we see in chapter 22. And this is actually a song that he's sung once before. So if you look at Psalm 18, it is almost word for word the exact same song. But then was when Saul was defeated and, and David was taking the throne for the first time. He just defeated Goliath. 
this little shepherd boy, and he's been honoring God in the way he lived, and he's taking the throne. He's singing this song now. David is singing the exact same song as he reflects back over his entire life. And so we have to realize, okay, these are some of David's last words. An important man in the scriptures, and he doesn't choose his last words lightly. And so we want to lean in to hear what are these last words as he reflects over everything that's happened in his life. Okay? Because I think as we reflect as well, if someone were to ask you, how was the last year? Hard to even sum up in a sentence or two, like what all happened in the world, but also what all happened personally for us. Throughout the, the, the year, there was a ton of different difficulties that we all experienced. And sometimes it was hard to even process with other people because it seemed like everyone else was going through that as well. And in those moments, I found myself looking at the circumstance that was before me and my mind being overwhelmed more and more, just consumed by whatever was before me, the, the event or circumstance in front of me in my life. And it just was fed by scrolling through social media over and over and seeing news report after news report. And then having conversations with people as the COVID dropped. And that's the only thing that we began talking about. Like it began to fill our minds. And what happened is that the circumstance that was before us began to feel like it was controlling our life more and more. Like it had more and more power over us. And then what also happened is that it began to change our perspective of who God is. Like, is God actually in control? Is God on the throne right now? Like, what is happening in the world? And we also began to look in on ourselves and the circumstances began to determine who are we? And the wrestling and the hurt and our processing, and we couldn't even come to a conclusion. But David's going to give us a radically different perspective. He's almost going to flip the process that we might have experienced, that I experienced in this past year, instead of looking first at our circumstance and being overwhelmed by that and letting that determine and change our perspective of God, he's going to look first at who God is, be overwhelmed by his glory and greatness, and let that change the perspective of what his circumstance is like. So let's draw our eyes to 2 Samuel 22, verse 2, where he says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior. You saved me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. Okay, so David is looking back over his life and he is filled with joy and worship as he sees all the ways that God stepped in for him. He's like, God, you delivered me from the hand of Goliath. You delivered me from the hand of Saul. You delivered me from Absalom, my own son. God, there's moments where I was fleeing from my life, and I got to hide in the cave, and I, I found that I was hiding actually in the shadow of your wing, that you were my refuge. Or you're saying that you, God, saved me from the many different kingdoms that came to us in battle. They tried to take us over. You saved me in those moments. And it seems like as he's reflecting on him, he's filled with the greatness of God. And he just wants to declare that back to him. He wants to fix his mind on that. that and then it comes to this conclusion that God is worthy of praise. That God, you are my God. Like you are my everything. 
And it seems like he can't like, think of enough names. Like He's just rattling off one after another, different ways that he saw God provide for him. But here's my fear for us, is that we wouldn't stop and reflect at how God has provided for us. That in our life, we just get trapped in the next circumstance that we're in, and it doesn't allow us to look back and see what God has done. Like we're overwhelmed by now what is before us. But guys, I want us to stop and just think about what has God done? Like let's reflect on this past year and think about what one of those titles that we saw stands out to you. So some of you, you like to plan things, okay? You like to map out what your next steps are going to be. You like to know where you're going. You like to have those answers fulfilled. And here's the one thing you couldn't do in 2020. Okay, the rug was ripped out. Like your plans were shot. And you were left like, what am I supposed to do? There's a restlessness in your heart. And you realize that God was your rock. That he was the only solid foundation that you could cling to in that moment. Some of you during quarantine experienced new depths of loneliness. And it wasn't like you could process through that with other people. And so as you sat alone, you felt a a new and greater experience of depression or anxiety. Some of you, even for the first time, were caught off guard. Like, what? This is something new? Like, I'm experiencing anxiety and depression for the first time? You found yourself at war with the thoughts in your mind. And in that moment, you found that God was your refuge. That he was the place you could hide. That he was the shield that would defend lies from your mind and would allow you to remember and think about truth. Some of you entered college and jumped immediately into living the college scene. Sex, partying, pursuing, making a name for yourself, pleasing people, thinking that that would give you the best experience possible. And what you actually found is that it left you empty. It left you feeling broken and isolated and unsatisfied. And as you look back, you see that God was your deliverer. That God delivered you from that way of life and he's offered you and welcomed you into a far greater life. Some of you dealt with new levels of hurt and confusion that you ever have before in your life. Crippling at times. And in that moment, you saw that God was the only one that could be your savior. That he was the only one you could trust. He was the only one that you could lean on. So you cling to him a little bit tighter than you ever have before. And as you look back, it's, it's a lot of times when we look back over our life, it's clearer for us. Like we can see vividly how God provided. We can easily say those names about who God was in those moments. And guys, as we've been doing leadership interviews, it's story after story after story of people dealing with brokenness and God stepping in. We get to worship him for that. But some of you, you are still in the midst of confusion. Some of you are like, Drake, that's great to reflect, but I'm hurting right now. Like, I, I just got news about my family member. I, I'm dealing with this thing that I, can't feel like, I feel like I can't be open about with other people. Like, I'm hurting in this moment. How do I relate to David, who seems like he's at the end of his life in an easy season, looking back? And here's what I want to say. David is looking back over a lot of victories, but also a lot of defeats. And he is able to have a clarity that sometimes it's hard to fight for in those seasons of hurt. But as we look at the clarity that he has, 
It gives us the posture of heart that we want when we are confused, when we don't know what to think. But we know these are the names that we can cry out to God and we can convince our heart that that is who he is in this moment. Because here's the truth. The God who was with you in that former season of life, the God who was with David when he was delivered, is the God who is with you right now. The God that you can run to in this moment, that you can draw your attention to, this God that we get to be in relationship with and how worthy of our praise he is. So when we start with a perspective of who God is, and how he's delivered us, it will change everything about how we pray. It will change everything about how we view the circumstance in front of us. So Charles Spurgeon talks about this text of David reflecting over his life, and he says these words. It is well to pray to God as to one who deserves to be praised out of a a joyful heart. For then we plead in a happy and confident manner. If I feel that I can... And do bless the Lord for all of his past goodness. I am bold to ask great things of him. What he's saying is if you're able to look back and see the moments that God stepped in for you, the way that he provided for you, it enhances the worship and the the image of God that you have in your mind. You realize that is the God that's with you right now as you're praying boldly now. It changes your posture to just be throwing up prayers of actually being like, no, God is listening. The next verse, it talks about the circumstances that David is walking through. In verse 5, where it says, For the waves of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord to my God. From his temple, he heard my voice. And my cry came to his ears. David knew with such confidence that the prayers he prayed, God heard. Like he said, I called, God heard, back to back. No gap in between those. And for the Christian in the room, I want you to hear, God on the throne hears your prayers. Because I know the wrestling, there's times where you feel like you're praying and you're just, your words are being thrown into a wall and they're just a mist that vaporizes. That there's no way that they get to God. Those prayers are heard by the God on the throne. There's moments in your life where you just see brokenness. You just fell into sin again. You're like, I'm going to pray, but there's no no way that a holy God would listen to my prayer. Those prayers are heard by God on the throne. There's going to be seasons this summer where you're isolated. You're not with the community that you had. And you're like, maybe that was just a, a thing over the year. Is God actually listening to me now? Those prayers are heard by the God that's on the throne. And guys, that doesn't mean that there aren't going to be times where you're confused. There will be. Okay? For things not to be confusing at all times would mean that we would have to know everything, that we would have to be God ourselves. And so the point isn't for us to know everything, but the point is for, for us is to lean on the one who is on the throne for eternity, that we get to go to the, that God with the prayers and the hurts of our heart. And I just want to say right now, for those that are hurting right now, I'm sure that 
this line of like, hey, take your eyes off your circumstances, turn to God and pray, has been a one-liner that you've heard that's actually felt more like someone that just doesn't want to enter in, someone that doesn't want to feel the hurt that you're feeling and they just want to move on to say pray. But I also want you to see to take your eyes off of your circumstance and to fix them first on God doesn't mean your circumstance doesn't matter. Like, let's look at David's life. The language he uses is that death encompassed me. Destruction assailed me. Cords of Sheol entangled me. Snares of death confronted me. Like, as the troubles that you're walking through are very real. Like, they are affecting the way that you're living, and they're causing hurt and pain. It's not that those circumstances don't matter so do you realize the one that is with you in the midst of those circumstances? That the God who is worthy of all praise, the one that's on the throne, is leaning in his ear to hear the hurt and brokenness that you're feeling, to hear your anger and frustration that you have towards him. Like he would take the time to hear about the anger you have towards a perfect God because he loves you. And so David understands, okay, when I pray, God hears it. Like there's no gap there. It's like I called out, God heard me. But he also colors in this profound picture of God's response to his prayer. He doesn't just hear it. He takes action on it. So let's look at verse 8. It says, Then the earth reeled and rocked, and the foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked. Because he was angry, smoke went up from his nostrils, and a devouring fire from his mouth, glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He was seen on the wings of the wind. Guys, David is coloring in this beautiful picture of the earth shaking, the heavens rattling, the incredible effects of the, the smoke coming out of the nostrils of God. And it's this picture of what happens when God steps up off his throne and steps down to this earth to intervene for your prayers. Like he has such a clear picture of the radical effects of God bringing heaven to this earth to respond to your prayer. That heaven steps down, that God comes off his throne and intervenes. Is that the way that you view prayer? Because, guys, if I'm honest with myself, a lot of times I see prayer more like winning the lottery or wanting to win the lottery, I should say. It's like, okay, that would be sweet. Like, I'd love to win. Um, but I also know there's a lot of people in on this thing. The chances are pretty small. And, and I would love to win, but I'm probably not going to. So let's see. Let's see if I get lucky. Let's see if God can actually handle the, prayer, handle the prayers of the world. Like, we think God gets overwhelmed with all of our prayers. What would happen if we actually prayed as if God heard our prayer? What would happen if we prayed as if God was actually God and not the diminished view of him that we have in our mind? That prayer is causing heaven to bend down to this earth to intervene for you. It might not be how you imagine him to intervene, but he's stepping in for you. And I love when it talks about on the wings of this, the wind, like he's coming quickly. 
He's coming with his anger on your behalf, with the smoke coming out of his nostrils. He's passionate in the way that he's pursuing after you. So Saul comes to you, what is the prayer that you need to bring before God tonight? To the God who is your rock, who's your refuge, who's your salvation, your deliverer, the one who is worthy of praise, the one that's on the throne, leaning in his ear to hear your prayers if you pray to him right now. What is that prayer? But I think there's another thing that we feel when it comes to prayer. Okay, like is God big enough to hear all the prayers of everyone in all the world? Is mine just getting lost in the bunch? But we also wrestle with, who am I that an amazing God would ever listen to me? The brokenness that I see, the sin that I continue to go back to. How would God listen to me? And so David so far has laid out how amazing God is, how he's proven himself in his life. And then that picture of God controls how he prays to know that God will step in to his every cry. And now he's going to give the reason for how he has a confidence in that. So what is the reason that God intercedes for us? The reason that God intercedes for David. Let's look at verse 17. He sent from on high, he took me, he drew me out of many waters, he rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. So God steps in and saves him in that moment. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place, he rescued me. Why? What's the reason? Because he delighted in me. And guys, this next verse caught me off guard. Let's imagine who's writing this again, okay? The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. What, David? Like, do you remember what happened in chapter 11? Like, people aren't just going to skip over that. Like, God isn't just going to not see that taking place in your life. How could you ever say that the Lord is going to judge you based on your righteousness? If we're being honest today, it's like the last thing I feel like you'd want to be judged on is your own righteousness. And for you in the room tonight, you know as well that the last thing you would want to be judged on is your own righteousness or lack thereof. Because we see so many areas of our life where we've messed up. We long to live a certain way and we fall short. There's some of you that entered into a new way of living that you never thought you'd live at all in your life. And there's some of you that keep going back to the thing that you've said time and time again, this is the last time, God. And you're feeling defeated. You're feeling like, man, am I ever going to defeat this sin in my life? You're weary as you've been following Jesus for a little bit now. And you're like, man... Basically, we're saying, I should be perfect already. And so we feel the weight of that, and we begin to ask, how could God delight in me? Like, how could God ever judge me in, according to my righteousness in a good light? How could that ever happen? And you begin to determine who you think you are before God. So I want you to answer that question right now. Like, who do you think you are before God? If you were to determine it yourself. Because a lot of times I think we would say unworthy. I think we'd say broken. I think we'd picture a God, like a father with a furrowed brow, like I can't believe you messed up again. Get your act together. 
and we stumble to God like, man, who am I before you? And so we saw in last week's story of David that after such brokenness in chapter 11, he confessed his sins and they were forgiven. The sins were put away with. And so he was able to have a trust in God that, God, I trust that you're forgiving me for my sin. I have no idea how you're going to pay for it. I don't understand that to the full, but I trust that you have forgiven me. And so God extends and showcases his steadfast love to David in that moment. And this song from 2 Samuel 22 ends with this verse in 51. It says, great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and to his offspring forever. And so David is saying, through my offspring, this steadfast love is going to continue far after I'm gone. So though David and Bathsheba's first son died as a result of his sin, they had another son by the name of Solomon. And Solomon had a son named Rehoboam, and Rehoboam had Abijah, and this family line carried on for generations and generations until God's firstborn son stepped onto the scene as a baby. And Jesus grew up in such a way that he was actually able to say, God, you can judge me according to my righteousness. Like you can reward me according to the cleanness of my hands. He was faithful his entire life, something that we can never do on our own. And so he should have been the one that was able to repeat those words back to God. But those weren't the words that he said at the end of his life. Actually, Jesus would resonate a little bit more with 2 Samuel 22, verse 42, where it says, They looked, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. Though Jesus lived a perfect life, Though Jesus never gave up the goodness of our good God for the lesser things of this world, his cry went unanswered. He said, Father, would you take this cup of wrath from me and hear its silence? And instead of God storming to the scene to protect his son, he actually brought the storm of his own wrath to crush him. Just as David and Bathsheba's first son died as a result of sin, so did God's. He crushed him on the cross. And what we know now is that because of that, your sins have been completely paid for. To where now the only thing you have to do is to humble your heart and realize that I am broken. I need Jesus to save me. and I want to submit to him as Lord. You're not choosing for him to be the Lord. Like he already is the Lord, but you're humbling your heart and say, Jesus, I want to serve you as Lord of my life. And then you become one with him. Like his righteousness becomes your righteousness. You are one with Christ now. God looks at you in great delight because he sees the perfection of his son. And if you don't know Jesus, and some of you might be coming in this space, you're like, man, I haven't been a part of the church. My life is incredibly broken. If Drake knew this about me, I don't even know if you want to talk to me. Here's what I want you to hear. You are never more welcome to come to Christ than you are right now. Because your brokenness has already been paid for. It just takes you humbly accepting the gift of God's grace in your life. Like he is waiting for you to be called back into his family. He has done everything for you. 
And so now in Christ, in another way, and there's a sense that we are able to say that God has judged me according to my righteousness because our old self is completely dead and the only righteousness we have now is Christ. That's the only way that God actually looks down and sees us. And so the beauty of fixing our eyes on the glory of God first, seeing how he's provided and being stirred in worship, that it actually gives us a more clear picture of who we are. Like, I want you to think back to how would you determine who you are before God? Unworthy, broken, falling flat on your face time and time again. Here's the crazy reality of the gospel. You don't have the right to determine who you are. The beauty of the gospel in my heart for you is that you would see yourself through the lens that God sees you. Like that song, I am who you say I am, that you would actually believe that, that you would see the delight that he looks at you, that God is the only one that has the right to determine who you are, and the way that he determines you is that you're forgiven, that you're loved. That he delights in you. That you are his kid now. And that is the truest thing about you. And so now, we're able to join in with David. We're able to look back at ways that God has provided for us. But we also have something greater than David. Because we can look back to the cross and see the ultimate way that God dealt with our brokenness for eternity. So how do you know God loves you in this moment? Look back to the cross. How do you know that God is present and cares about the burdens that you're feeling? Look back to the cross. How do you know that he has your future in his hand and he cares about your future? Look back to the cross and see that he sealed your eternity there. You don't need to overcomplicate things. You don't need to know all the theological answers. Here's the beauty of it. It's the cross that changes everything about you. It's a simple message, but it profoundly affects who we are, and we want to fix our gaze on it for the rest of our life, well into eternity. Here's a, a response that we, that we had um, in one of the applications for leadership that I love. They said, I actually figured out that every single one of your structures are ser- or sermons are structured the exact same way. You just talk about the gospel. I was like, you figured us out, okay? That, like, that is the message that we want to proclaim to you week after week after week because that is the message that changes everything. And here's the thing. As you look back to the cross, you see the God who is with you then, who is with you now, and who will be with you into your future. You can know for certainty that he is with you now by looking at how he provided for you then. And so as you go on into the summer, as some of you go back to families that are a little more difficult, as some of you go back to old friendships that you've changed a lot this year and you're not the same person you were, and so you're trying to interact with how am I going to hang out with them? How am I not going to be my old self, but I want to be a light to them as well? Some of you are like, man, I've experienced a community that has radically changed who I am. Here's the joy that you get to have going into the summer. And here's what I want you to know. The same God that provided for you at the cross is with you now and will be with you this summer. That he is your rock. 
He is your fortress, your deliverer, your God, your rock in whom you take refuge, your shield and the horn of your salvation, your stronghold, your refuge, and your Savior. That incredible God who is with you is the one that you'll be able to bring every cry of your heart to this summer and for the rest of your life. And the reason that you can have confidence that he will lean in to hear your prayers because you're his kid now. That he delights in and nothing can change that. And we see the beauty of worshiping a God that we realize neither height nor depth nor angel nor demon nor things present nor things to come nor power could ever separate us from the love of Christ. And that God is worthy of our praise. Let's pray. Father, how insane it is that we get to come before a God like you right now. God, it's amazing to see new life happening in this space, that there's 33 people getting baptized that all symbolize your finished work on the cross and the effects that it has on broken people. God, I pray that there would be someone tonight that would come to know you, that they realize that their brokenness, though it separated them from you, God, it's the one thing that qualifies to be us to be Christians. We bring our brokenness to you, and we realize our need for you to show up, and you did. We get to joyfully celebrate and have confidence that, God, you have radically changed our eternity, and we get to live in the confidence of that now. God, I pray that as we finish out the semester with these songs and as we finish out the semester with the night of worship, would we sing in confidence knowing what you've done? God, sometimes our brokenness can hold us back and feel like, man, who am I to sing these songs? But God, we realize that brokenness was already done away with. And the point of these songs is to exalt you and what you've done, and we want to do that as a family. So God, would we lift our voices to worship you? Would we lift our voices to praise you because you are worthy of our praise? And God, you've changed everything. It's in your name we pray. Amen.